0: I could get you the American Dream on 85K. I know the lengths that you go to in order to save money. And you sum that up in can-do attitude.
1: (laughs) You want a a can't-do attitude over (laughs) here, Doodles?
0: This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Doodles, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. Hello, Skippy. What's up? How are you? Good. How are you? Pretty goo. Pretty, pretty goo. Just uh, celebrating in this part of the world. Yeah. Tell me about it. Tell you about the celebrating? Mm Mm-hmm. Just everything hitting all-time highs, man. Everything. One of the things I enjoyed the most was there was, I think it was a Wall Street Journal headline yesterday, or sometime this week, that was something like uh, the market catapults off the back of AI mania to all-time highs. And the S&P 500 was up like 0.03% that day. And so, yes, like it technically did go to all-time highs, but there was some aggressive language being used about it starting to feel the wall
1: street journals uh layoffs man that they've been writing like uh, their articles this week have been like so and so said x on twitter (laughs) (laughs) you can't lay off ai not not the quality journalism that i'm
0: used to i'm concerned yeah well you know lo siento however let's let's just start with a little fishbowl reach i'm going to stay on the theme of all-time highs and talk about japan Japan. All-time highs? All-time highs. The the Nikkei 225, the Dos Dos Cinco, as they call it in Japan, is hitting all-time highs. And this has been long-awaited. I'm talking long-awaited. When was the last time we saw these kinds of digits over in Japan? Oh, you know, something like 30... Four years ago, yeah, 1989, man.
1: For all the, I mean, for all the cape ratio haters out there, cyclically adjusted price to earnings ratios, it went to 44 and a half. I mean, the signs were there that what was happening <laughs> 34 years ago was not exactly
0: fundamentally based. No, but yeah, yeah, okay, yes, yes, true, 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 truth. However, it's like it's wild when you think about because you talk about all the time. You say when when there are statements thrown around like, well, the market always comes back that a lot of times that's focused or most times or maybe all times that's focused around looking at the US and you have these other stock markets that sometimes they go down, they're just down. Or you have a situation like this where the market went down and didn't come back for 34 years, at least to that same level. There was a piece that I enjoyed this week from the Wall Street Journal, going back to the Wall Street Journal. But this was this was better than that last journalism that we were talking about. And it talks about this stockbroker and how he's been waiting 34 years for the market to boom. His name was Hiroyuki Kikuchi, and I'm going to hit on a few points here from this article. So one, it starts off by saying, the last time Japanese stocks were at these levels, Kikuchi celebrated his brokerage's 40th anniversary at a luxury hotel and hired a composer and band for more than $100,000 to create a ballad titled, Never Say Can't. At that point in time, he was saying, We're going to hit 50,000. We're going to hit 60,000. Right. It was one of those, like, you I can just picture Leonardo DiCaprio doing his little jig in the Wolf of Wall Street, right? Just saying, This will never end. This will never end. But it ended. They'd also, one other point from this, it was saying, At the time, there were companies that were pouring money into stocks. They were making more from stocks than they were from their their core. Which is another sign, right? When you when your core business is and you're not an investment firm, and your core business is not spitting out as much as stocks. In fact, there were brokers that were guaranteeing seven percent returns. Like, just give us your money, guaranteed. We will we will give you that amount of money. Th- this was a silly, dilly, dilly little time back then. But you know, you get caught up in euphoria, euphoria. As you were saying, it's. I don't, I'm not. I'm not going to say this time is different. Uh, but it, it's. It's not the. It's not the the crazy right cape ratios you're talking about then. There are no, and I quote, there are no illusions about Japan dominating the global global economy this time, which was at the back of the time, the largest companies in the world were Japanese. Uh,
1: I didn't think you were gonna make me go here. The only illusions happening right now are that the US tech sector is the most dominant force to ever be reckoned with and will never face a downturn. I mean I didn't really want to go to the parallels here. I wasn't even thinking we'd talk about this today, but the way you framed it, what was happening 34 years ago in Japan is like the, the Japanese tech sector, including companies like Sony were just thought to be so dominant that all of the world's money was headed there and saying, this is the hot thing there. You're here's your guaranteed returns. There's some of that going on with us tech right now, man.
0: See, this is where, this is where you have your own illusions because we got companies that are increasing their revenues by 3x every year <laughs> as we talked about what last company? week, we got are... companies it's a silent s we got... <laughs> this week nvidia after a 16 percent gain on thursday it had the single largest market cap increase by dollar aggregate dollar value in history uh it was just i don't know like a month ago when meta did the same thing yeah <laughs> but now... i was gonna say <laughs> so this is the sign this is what you're talking about i'm, I'm just joshing you said this is what you're talking set about
1: that record They're, like just set that record three weeks ago and then nvidia in one day went up more than uh amd their largest competitor of, well one of their largest i mean yeah the results on this i i doubt we have many uh listeners that like sports gambling on the show because gambling is not investing but Uh, I think the gamblers can have more fun with NVIDIA right now than you can have in any sporting event because this (laughs) thing is just wild. For what? Now, four straight quarters, basically, and maybe it's only three. Basically, their results have been so unbelievable that uh, three months ago, I was wondering if they are on steroids, the equivalent of like Mark McGuire um, setting home run records, like basically cooking the books. These results are unbelievable
0: unbelievable they are un like i i don't know what to do when i look at nvidia's uh, quarterly earnings like I, it's a it's mind-blowing it's a mind-blowing thing it's not sustainable and i don't think anyone jensen does not believe it's sustainable now the things he's saying because he's ceo of this organization is this is the start of a new inflection point yeah. right but he's also selling stock for what it's worth
1: but so <laughs> did we did we read let's just read the three bullet points. Record quarterly revenue of 2. Point, or 22.1 billion up 22% from Q3 and up 265% from a year ago. Record quarterly data center revenue of 18.4 billion up 24 uh, 27% from Q3 and 409% from a year ago. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> things are just yeah. going up hundreds of a percent each year
0: it, it's 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 got to be wild when you say okay, so nvidia i can't remember but it's something like i don't know 27 28 years old or something like that as a company mm-hmm. say during the first 27 years we built this enterprise that is world renowned and created billions of dollars in revenue how about this quarter we do 20 how about how <laughs> <laughs> get excited how about Eagles this quarter who's so throwing his mic over there <laughs> how about this quarter we do what we did for the last 27 years but just right now like let's just do that in a quarter it's buck wild can i step back to your for a moment well no?
1: yeah no we'll get there but uh to tie up the video there's rumors i don't know if these are true but sometimes rumors are more fun than truth that some folks at sequoia who did the original like series a Have never sold their stock. Can you imagine the return if that's true?
0: No, it's literally funny money. Because like, yeah, it's like the people that originally wrote twenty five thousand dollar checks for Uber when Uber was still private. But you know, it' like it's yeah, it's wild. All right, step back to Japan. The to to put this thirty four years into something maybe slightly more tangible because I thought this was really interesting. Is this piece? This Wall Street Journal piece also touched about touched on how, so the Bank of Japan, after this point, kept interest rates at around zero for an entire generation. For a generation. So when we talk about 0% interest rates and what that's done for, uh, for the U.S. economy over the last 10 years, like just imagine that for a whole generation. And so what that's led to is the broker that we, we were talking about in this piece, Hiroy- uh, Hiroyuki, he now has passed on, so his father originally ran the brokerage, his father passed the brokerage to him. He now has passed the brokerage on to his son. And what his son was saying is that what's happening now is no one knows. Like no one's ever seen it, but his dad has seen it. He's like, My, this is the end quote. My dad is a guy who knows that market where rates are rising, stocks are rising. He's one of the few surviving executives who has experienced that. This is great. I love this point because... Effectively, if
1: you look at the graph here for 34 years, it's pretty symmetrical. Like it goes down for 15, 16 years, kinda. And then it slowly like basically it does very little for the middle 20, but yep. um, just recently it's starting to ramp up in what looks like an exponential curve. But that insight is incredible. Like, you have to be <laughs> whatever. Sixty to eighty years old, yeah, to even know what it's like. Probably older, you know. Probably seventy to ninety years old to even know what it's
0: like to be in a market of all-time highs. Yeah, and here in the U.S., the market goes down for a week, and people are like, "The world might end." Like we we don't we don't understand, and then and then it goes up for a week, and we're like, "Good times forever." <laughs> right? It's a we we don't understand how to just operate in a world that isn't on extremes well
1: what's going to happen is at some point we'll have a long prolonged downturn and people will be talking about i don't know anyone that was in the market in 2008 and we'll have the reverse of this yeah yeah that's true actually we won't right american tech is going to go
0: on forever and everything's perfect and there's nothing to worry about and i mean all we need is about five years and nvidia will be a seven trillion trillion dollar revenue company
1: Oh, no, 10. Chil- Come on. Seven. Oh, yeah, oh 7 trillion I revenue. That's not revenue. I <laughs>
0: revenue. I'm talking about 3X every year.
1: What's going to happen is the AI that NVIDIA creates actually will start making its own chips and then selling those own chips, but all under the company umbrella of NVIDIA. So it could be $100 <laughs> trillion
0: in revenue. Jensen becomes a cyborg. Sam Altman becomes a cyborg. A cyborg. <laughs> and then they just, yeah, he puts himself into his oven. All right, all right. What what you got? What you got in the bowl?
1: Uh, we're off the rails. I found this really interesting. I won't give all the caveats of I haven't done all the fact checking, but Investopedia came out with an infographic that mm. says the American Dream now costs two uh, three point four million dollars. Okay, and I expected to immediately look through this and have all sorts of issues with the numbers, but they look kind of kind of right. So I'm gonna go step by step of what they define as the american dream and give you some values associated with that and apparently as up to 3.4 million let's just discuss first thing average cost of a wedding and engagement ring $36,000 seems on the high side i can live with it average cost of a home with mortgage interest they roughly say 800k i mean that is on the cheaper side based on where we live uh but i can i can do it yep, for your average home yep this one cracks me up and it's true, but it corrects me. Out. It's not true for me, Dougals. It's not true for value investors out there. Lifetime car purchases total, almost 300K. Come on, more like $300 where I live. I mean, <laughs> buy that used Corolla, people. I'm exaggerating a little, but again, believe it, right? You buy, I don't know, over the course of your lifetime, four $50,000 cars and pay some interest or it's, it's more than four probably because it's yeah, yeah. one for you and one for your wife and Then you get the minivan when you have the kids and everything else. This is a little pedantic, but out-of-pocket cost for two baby delivers in the hospital. Let's say 6K. Average cost of raising two children to the age 18 is almost $600,000. Recent data I've seen says that's true. Any surprises for you yet, Dougal? So basically, you
0: have a house, some cars, and you've got your kids to 18. Nothing seems to what you're saying. Nothing seems wildly off maybe different than what my thought process yeah. would be, but not wildly off. All right. So this is where this is uniquely
1: American that they, they say that you'll spend almost $900,000 on family health, health insurance. Uh, this is premiums and insurance costs certainly seems on the high side. Um, but we are the m- most expensive and worst. Uh, how do I say it? The worst healthcare coverage f- per cost of any place in the world by Uh, significant margin. So, I wouldn't really quibble with this one either. Yep. Yep. Makes sense. That makes me sad more than anything else. I mean, yeah, you to have the American dream. Think if you could put a million bucks somewhere else. But so I mean, that's
0: I'm rounding a good amount, but that's like a third of the total cost they're talking about. Absolutely. I mean, not quite. It's it's like I mean, isn't that sad though? Yeah.
1: And and that the fact that you and I both aren't immediately like, no, that's insane. We're kind of like, no, "Eh, yeah, that's it. We, we Americans are spoiled. Let's put it that way. Sixty-seven thousand dollars is the average lifetime cost for pet care.
0: Um, <laughs> it's what's interesting. Okay, sorry. I know you have a couple more to go. What they chose to include in here is the like this. This was the first one where the number. I don't. I don't really know. I. Don't, I don't know either way. But I just went. <laughs> you chose pet care versus there are other categories they they could have chosen.
1: This one and. uh the cost to deliver uh, babies in the hospital is like, really? that That's what you chose to, as important? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, now, this one, I want to quibble with the cost too, but uh, I've had some large fat bills recently and over a lifetime. Gosh, you'll yeah. probably get there. Average cost of tuition, again, for your two children in the so called American dream, $42,000 a year, basically. Unfortunately, that's reasonable and true. And then seven hundred K to retire. Uh on this show, we would likely tell you you need more than that, but I think yep. that is the average. Yep. And average cost of a funeral is eight thousand bucks. It adds up three point four million dollars. There you go.
0: So the engagement ring is over four times as much as the funeral. That shows you what well, we value. That shows you what we value. And wedding. Oh, yeah, that's true. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Never mind. Never
1: mind. And uh I would argue it's better to spend money when people are alive celebrating them than it is to celebrate them after their death if that makes any sense
0: well, yeah when I, I i'd forgotten that the wedding was included so i was thinking about throwing <laughs> itself go. yeah there you go the, we so ignore let's just to say the categories are right the numbers are right yeah yeah if we just say that this comes out to over a, a imagine a 50-year period in which you're spending this money It comes out to about $68,000, I think, was the, I ran some quick math, a year that you're spending. I know everything wouldn't be over that period of time, but like roughly, doesn't seem wild. So pre-tax, you're talking about $100,000 in salary, roughly, is what it costs to have the American dream. Do you know what the median income is in the U.S.? Median household income or medium individual household. Income? Uh, I believe household is what I have. Let's just imagine it's household. I'm gonna give you a number. That I think it's household. I mean,
1: that's important. I'm gonna say it's household because typically you have two earners
0: and eighty-five thousand. The you're 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 not too far off. About seventy-eight thousand dollars. Okay. I see another one that's seventy-five, but we could say like mid-seventies, roughly. So if you take that into consideration. So what we're saying is that the American dream income that you'd need is 100. Median in the U.S. is about 75. The feeling, and for an individual, the number I had in my head must be individual because I just Googled that is 58. So I, I know that yeah, yeah, but yeah. people work part time and whatnot. So the, the feeling around the American dream no longer existing, there's not a lot of other factors going into it. But you, if you just take this like simple view of it, it starts to make sense. Where, in, when you feel the day to day, the year to year of it, people are not able to get like the things that are sitting in those categories. I can't throw a $36,000 wedding. I can't mm-hmm. do it. Right. And when you see that's what that costs, I can't do it. That's what that costs. I can't do it. I need $700,000 $700, for retirement. I have $0 in my retirement account. Right. When you start to see these things, it, it also gets in the way of people being able to achieve it. I'm taking this to Ooh. a new level. Sorry.
1: No, yeah. I kind of like this though. So let's put on the, we need a a fake name for Dave Ramsey that actually gives uh, good financial advice. Let's put on that little hat. We need Gordon to come Ramsey. up with no, a name as different as possible. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> okay. let's put on the Skippy and Dougal's hat here and, and help to solve that problem. Dougal's if, you have maybe 80K a year and you need 100 to do these. What I think there's some extravagant pieces in this so-called American dream yep. that, you know, can easily cut back on the cost of a wedding and an engagement ring. You can easily cut back on your lifetime car purchases. I would hope with a little can-do attitude, you could cut that insurance premium in half. High-yield savings account, other things. Like, come on there's there's wiggle room here i just I could get you the american
0: dream on 85k i i know some of the things that you do the lengths that you go to in order to save money and you sum that up in can-do <laughs> that what, can do attitude you want a,
1: <laughs> you want a can't do attitude over here i <laughs> uh, i guess I won't turn this into my like personal garage sale on how to make all the numbers work but i i still think it's let me say it this way: your general tone of like, "Oh well, so the American dream doesn't exist anymore because you need a hundred k and the household income is less." I just want to say that's not that's not entirely it.
0: Some of it is. How am I going to make this work? Right. Yeah, I agree with you. I fully agree okay. with you. What I was saying was. The reason that people feel like the American dream doesn't exist, but it it gets exactly to your point is because I think there are a lot of people overgeneralizing here, but I think a lot of people will say, this is what I need to spend on X. All right. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to spend it. We were just talking about the, was it a week or two ago? We were talking about how friendships over time, the financials within between friends can diverge. And it's like, okay, well, they're going on this trip to the Bahamas. That's how much it costs. I'm going to pay it. But where america ignoring all the social and which is really important like side of america but let's just go into like the the heart of what makes the american dream the american dream is some version of what can i do with what i have yes not not some view in this is how much a thing costs but what can i do with what i have and that's where budgeting effectively comes in is i can't spend that hundred dollars on this let me find it for seven the equivalent for it there was when when I was getting into the, the corporate world, uh, my, my boss at the time was saying to me, he goes, all right, we need to up your wardrobe game. Now, as you would know I've now come back to my old wardrobe oh, yeah, game. You, you've brought it back <laughs> lower than ever, yeah. right? <laughs> but he, he, what he was basically saying was he was like, the, the first folks that are going to meet you are going to judge you by your cover, right? That's what's going to happen. So he... He hired somebody for me to take me to like all these fancy shops to go and like put on the, the, all the fancy stuff. And she basically showed, like, she showed me like, this is what you can look like. Now let's go to the stores you can afford and find the same things like that. That oh, was the way, brilliant. yeah, that was the way we, so like we kind of mapped out the stuff that, that I should buy and then went to like the thrift shop <laughs> and we're <laughs> like, okay, now how do we, how do we put that same thing together? And that's a you know it's a direct example but you can think about that in other in other ways what are the attributes of this thing that i feel like i want or i need and how can i find those same attributes at dollar tree or dollar general if you really know what's good for you Boo,
1: diggles is a stockholder
0: boo <laughs> um
1: i'll try to staff off my soapbox but you actually you said something there i didn't think we were going to talk about this in any way shape or form you said something there that's so important which is along the lines of like Part of the American dream, is is kind of a can do attitude, or making the best of my current situation with my current means. Let's not get lost in just throwing numbers around and being like, "I can't afford that." Life sucks. Let's actually tilt the our frame of reference and our frame of like our mindset here to say, "Yeah, but if I have eighty five thousand in my household, like look at all the things I can do, and look at all the opportunities where." Other Americans spend money in ways that are completely frivolous and like I can't, my quality of life can be just as good. Yeah. Even if I make a little less
0: or better, probably better, or better. honestly, yeah. probably better. Yeah. Psychologically, you can also be better. Although it's hard to get to for some folks. Yeah. I like that combo. Thanks for bringing that up. I like that combo.
1: Can I ask you this question? It's, it's kind of
0: related, but
1: you sent me a 25 page research article on, uh, called nobody ever gets credit for fixing problems that never happened what's going on with this Douglas?
0: give me the breakdown are you asking why i sent it to you or well, i mean what's the, in the, the piece thing
1: with uh the thing with hosting a podcast with doodles is sometimes you're going to get like a 160 page research paper sometimes it's only going to be 30 pages like and you never know how in depth how much research you need to do on these things in advance
0: what what piqued your interest about this guy so one was, I think the title is fascinating and right. There you're are certain things, right. and, yeah. then I'll, and then and I'll, then I'll touch on a little bit of the, the paper itself. There are certain activities, certain jobs, I'll say, where if it's done well, no one even knows that it happened, and if it's not done well, like you're you're railed into, like that is the like the expectation is set such that the thing is done, and the I I think we can all probably think of examples of things like this, but it's kind of like, a, oh, here's one that will hit home for folks. On Monday or Tuesday in your average organization, payroll is sent into the payroll organization. And then on Friday, you get your paycheck. The expectation, this is a no thank you role for this person. The expectation is that on Friday, your paycheck hits your bank account. If for some reason, something messes up on on that being sent in, like it is Highly bad for lots of reasons, like we can all understand that. But the expectation from experience (laughs) here—don't worry about what I have or have not experienced here. Uh, But you you, you get you get my point. It's basically like there those those things that happen. So the what this piece was about was around uh, process improvements in organizations and different ways that you can improve processes and whatnot. And so what the what this is saying was that. When you get a process to a point where it then prevents things from occurring, no one gets credit for that. No one gets credit for the person behind the scenes. When Batman's behind the scenes and you know saves the day, and so therefore you wake up in the morning and don't realize that Gotham City almost went down, you don't get credit for it. Uh, but I, I like this from, uh, from the perspective of thinking about ways to run teams. And th- there's a lot of process in here too, but when you just think about ways to run teams and ways that you can you can say like how do you either push a team just to go harder how do you think about doing things that might be more sustainable and have less short-term outcomes but you but the process itself ends up being better so it's working smarter versus harder is like the simple way to put that so there I'll pause there but that's what I liked about it
1: that is pretty good too there's a good line like on page 3 simply talking about some of the trade-offs that you have to balance here and one is that when you talk about process improvement, it's not something you just buy off the shelf, plug and play, or it's not like you go hire the consultants to come in and tell you how to lots of people actually do this and it never works. Hire the consultants to come in and tell you how to fix your business. And then they ride out on their golden horse six months later and none of the suggestions stick. Like the best way to do this is to actually build it in-house and make it part of your culture. And if you do that, There are competitive advantages that can last for years, if not decades. Yes, that's right. Because the way that the way this company operates is wholly different
0: from the way your competitor might operate. Exactly, because it gets into the the heart of the matter. It reminds me. I think I've told you this story once or twice, maybe even three times. Back when I was at McKinsey and Company, the consulting firm that is highly praised right now out there
1: Uh, it's not (laughs) it's 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 been choppy waters
0: (laughs) it's yeah it's 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 actually been it's been quite bad there someone this this is not what i was going to talk about but someone sent me a headline this week the headline is do McKinsey and other consultants do anything useful but on on that point though i went to one of the partners in the firm because i i'm like a self-career sabotage it's like my it's like my the name of the game i'm a terrible employee I went to one of the partners there and I said, look, I think we can all agree that we are not helpful as consultants, but what we are very good at is being a university. It's like, this is a fantastic training ground for people learning like processes and frameworks and like the heart of business. And what if we organize the, like our activities around the fact that we're better at teaching people how to do things than we are at consulting? What do you think the reaction was? I've heard that story before. It's, it's not good. It's a ter- it's a terrible thing to even suggest,
1: even if it's true.
0: Yeah, so don't do that. that don't do that, people. The partner was not amused is, is what happened there.
1: This reminds me of uh, me arguing in business school with one of my professors that some businesses are not in business to make money. You should have seen his jaw drop.
0: <laughs>
1: it's true. It is true. I don't want to get sidetracked on that, but it is true. (laughs) There's a very small sliver of businesses that are not in business to make money. And but it goes to whether it's your your business school or your consulting firm. Those places don't understand. They they can't
0: even fathom helping a company like that. Yeah. So it it breaks the brain. Some things just break the brain. Okay. I am I think this will be quick. So we've talked about I-bonds before. We all know that I-bonds... So actually, let me back up. I don't want to say we all know. I-bonds are bonds that are provided by the the United States Treasury, and they are meant to adjust according to inflation. And so if you go back a couple years when inflation in the U.S. was ramping up, the interest rate that was paid by these I-bonds also went quite high. I believe 9.62% was the... The rate the highest rate that was paid so people in the u.s started buying these bonds a lot and now with inflation having come down a bit people are starting to cash these bonds in and there is a chart that is showing the value of i-bombs that were i-bonds that were redeemed by investors over the last five years and i knew that 2023 would have been a high redemption year but it is mind-blowing how. How ridiculous this is. So basically, I can't get into the nuance of the chart because the the numbers are just too close. The graphs are too close. But imagine somewhere between like about $500 million a year was the average amount of I-bonds that were redeemed per year between 2019 and 2022. In 2023, it was $6.5 billion. That's a lot of I-bond redemptions. And I don't know what this does for the market exactly what this does for cash in consumers pockets. I also don't know who necessarily was purchasing the I bonds, like what, what quartile of income they were, but it's fascinating. It,
1: I think you're making this more complicated than it is. I'll rail on economists a lot of times when they think that humans are just computers, but all that happened here is humans actually acted rationally for once we yeah, on the that show doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. It, it does sometimes. on the show we i'm so happy we made several listeners hundreds of we made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars of interest for people (laughs) because we were talking about this early on and yes the going interest rate at a bank was zero something percent you could get seven percent start then it went all the way up to 9.6 and then the way that uh, cpi is trended it's back down to three ish. I forget because I sold my bonds yeah. just like everyone else did, right? And I still got so, some.
0: Really? Yeah. April first yeah. is my le- April first is my next sale. That's when I'll be at. There we go.
1: But it it trended in a way where it was by far the best U.S. based safe place to put your money, and and then it very quickly became where you could get five percent ish. At a, at a reputable bank, fully FDIC insured, and you were only getting 3% in i bonds So people just acted rationally with their money. The chart's funny, but I'm actually... What's, what's the word for less than 0% surprise? Like, this is just people... Underwhelmed? Being so proud. It
0: completely underwhelms. Oh, you didn't have to throw... Compl- <laughs> I put my heart out, vulnerably. And I stepped talking. On it. And you, you stepped on it. Completely underwhelmed. Okay, that's fair. All right, how about this next one then? Let me, let me try something else on you. So I'm reading this book right now called Subliminal. It's by the same guy that did uh, The Drunkard's Walk, if anyone has, has read that one. His name is Leonard Mladenov, something like that. Uh, but Drunkard's Walk, Subliminal. So there's this graph in there. It's, this, is not, this book is not about stocks or investing or anything like that. It's about the subconscious. But as a part of that, there is this graph that was looking at the change in share prices for IPOs, depending on the pronounceability of the name of the company. What this is showing is that if you look on the first day in the first week of a stock trading, more people that like the share price would go up more depending on the pronounceability of the name. And it's basically because people get all hyped up. People get all kinds of hyped up in the early days. But then it's showing that once you, once he hits like six months, a year, it starts to, it starts to kind of balance out because people start looking at fundamentals. Matter, right? Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. We yeah. read this book, Rory Sutherland. It's gold. Surprising. Yeah. <laughs> the surprising power of ideas that don't make sense.
0: No, um, I'm not sure.
1: Alchemy. It's a really good book. Uh, this guy is a principal at Ogilvy in the UK and um like the marketing the vice chairman yeah Yeah. yep the like world famous and there are so many of these things like that is the least surprising antidote hold
0: on for me (laughs) (laughs) oh okay so the last two things i brought up you were were completely (laughs) underwhelmed and then i brought the least surprising completely (laughs) underwhelmed by that one too and that was (laughs) of
1: course it goes up i I deal with, um, I had two meetings this week with businesses that are really hard to pronounce and, and both the founders were like, yeah, we probably should have picked a different name. Like that stuff matters, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're trying to when... sell someone to go to the website and you have to like spell it out every time. Like that stuff. Matters. Exactly.
0: That was, I've been a part in my organizations because I've, most of my career has been in startups or early stage companies. So because of that, there's a lot of product naming, company naming type things I've been a part of. And consistently, my take is we are spending so much time and money, and a lot of times bringing the consultants to find the right name. All we have to do is not find the wrong one. Yeah, it, you're exactly right. It, it's, uh,
1: yeah, don't make it horrible. Make a good product and you're good to go. Exactly. I have a hypothetical for you. Mm-hmm. You and your wife are both working superstars. She has a, a job in big oil. You have offices about 20 feet away from each other. Sometimes you vacation together, which husbands and wives do, and share a small Airbnb. And you're kind of hearing that her company might be buying a competitor, and they might be paying a 70% premium for that competitor. Do you A... By a ridiculous amount of options. <laughs> <laughs> Call options structured with a, a strike date and price that will truly uh, raise some eyebrows. B, maybe pick up a small position in the competitor's firm and, you know, make 10K without raising any eyebrows. Or C, maybe just uh, not trade on it. What's, what's your move here, Douglas?
0: I mean, my move is C, for very obvious reasons.
1: <laughs> I'm referring to an article from the BBC about the husband of a BP employee who apparently, if this is all true, this is crazy to me, made this massive options trade without ever formally talking about the deal with his wife. So basically, he overheard conversations about bp's purchase of travel centers of america and then bought did insider trading let's call it what it is and made almost 2 million dollars off his options purchases again i think his options purchases here is really easy to track down <laughs> because <laughs> it's structured in a way that you can only make with insider trading especially when your profits are 2 million bucks i think that's the thing that kind of baffles me I completely understand the temptation of like being like, Ooh, I think something's going to happen, but why do you make it? So it's like a life changing amount of money. Like, why do you do that?
0: Cause that's, that's the way people are. And the reason why he says he did this was so his wife didn't have to work long hours anymore. And his wife got fired for it. Yep. Well, I mean, I guess he, he succeeded. She's no longer working those long hours.
1: <laughs>
0: There's a, Phrase that always sticks with me that someone said to me about 10, 15 years ago that was, people often do what's in their worst interest. And I, not intentionally, but I just, I see this time and time again where someone's like, what I want is A. So let me go do this ridiculous thing that is going to obviously not allow A to happen, is the way that human beings often operate. That's not the logic in their brains. Mm -hmm. But I do, I do understand a temptation for something like this, but it like that temptation should break down pretty quickly. Like it obviously can't turn out well.
1: No, because what he is after in this situation is a ton of money. And if he makes a ton of money, he's going to jail, right? <laughs> so <laughs> it doesn't really work out. That's why option C is the right answer. <laughs> because, like he, he may have done option B and gotten away with it, And his wife is still working long hours. Like it doesn't do anything.
0: It's yeah. I loved the like two, three weeks ago when all the Boeing stuff was really going down. And there were there were these threads that were is it insider trading if I short Boeing while sitting on the plane when the door flies off? (laughs) Mm -hmm. My answer is it's not, believe it or not. If you
1: want to hypothetical conversation, it's obviously not insider trading.
0: It's like you just have access saying, to that
1: information more yeah. quickly. Like that's public information. Exactly. It's, it's, like,
0: it it's like eating a bowl of Cheerios and being like, these are really good. I should buy the stock of General Mills. Like that's not insider trading. Oh, it's better than that. It's like if you're on the assembly line
1: with the new product releases and you're the first person to take a bite of that new cereal. You know oh, know it
0: could be. This mind blowing. I guess if it's on the negative side, it's if, if you are one of the people that unfortunately were um either family members or something with someone that had the Tylenol that had cyanide in it and you shorted Johnson and Johnson stock like that is also not insider trading um yeah I got dark real quick <laughs> real quick because that's probably not the first thing also coming to your mind it's like I'm gonna go short the stock but anyway sorry I probably shouldn't have gone there <laughs>
1: uh point point taken all right anything else in your fishbowl
0: no I got nothing else
1: all right well that's a wrap guys uh please hit skippy and doodles for all things for all things related to the show we have for premium subscription subscriptions to get the show earlier and help support the behind the scenes um expenses of the show and uh please share the show with a friend who likes investing or are lame at antics either are <laughs> uh, we'll talk to you next week bye